This episode of Back in My Play is brought to you by Retrofixes.com, the best resource that I've found to get your console serviced and your games working better than ever. That includes mods that will get your consoles looking fantastic on current televisions and also ways to increase the lifespan of your game carts. Go and check out all the great services, parts, and information that Wes has to offer at Retrofixes.com. Hello and welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 68. This is the long-awaited episode where I get two experts to help me triage my Japanese RPG collection that is on my PlayStation Vita. Of course, we're going to be talking about PlayStation 1 Japanese RPGs and how they hold up today in 2016, which ones you should still play, and maybe if even if you're going to play them, like here's the stuff you should probably know going into all that i tried to do this with the eight four guys and it was just beyond the beyond talk for like 30 minutes it was it was not very productive so (laughs) i got two awesome people on the show first back on the show this is like gonna be maybe like the four straight show or something like that i have kurt colada from hardcore gaming 101.net kurt how are you hello how are you tonight i'm i'm doing absolutely great and it's because Again, you guys are taking the time to help me with this this conundrum that I have because there's only so much time to play these 80-hour JRPGs. And also on the line, and this is this is almost like particularly perfect to to finally get Peter Brown back on because Peter, you have a new show on the GameSpot Podcast Network which is Airship Airship Final Fantasy and Beyond. <laughs> and Beyond. I was going to say you guys you guys did a whole Persona episode last week, which is awesome. Yeah, last week we tried to touch on a few series that began on the Super Nintendo that never made it to America, but then have gone on to become worldwide successes. That's right. Um, yeah, and it's a, this show is sort of like a partnership with Alexa Ray Korea, uh, who's currently out due to a minor injury. So I'll be uh, carrying oh. the show forward uh, until she's back. But okay. uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great show. People should check it out and... Uh, even a couple of those games that were brought up on the last episode, uh, maybe that's what I was focusing on Persona we're actually going to talk about. Maybe not in this part. This is probably going to be a two-parter, just a heads up. Um, but, you know, you're going to get more content, which is going to be a good thing. So the reason why I'm doing all this stuff, if you didn't listen to that A4 uh, episode, is that uh, Persona 4 Golden is in like my top five games of all time. And this is like coming off. We're recording this the day that the persona five stuff all came out, which Holy crap guys, come on. This that is looks so good. It looks so good. That's what Japanese video games should be. Right. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, we, we can't talk about that now because we'll talk about it for an hour, but um, <laughs> that uh, persona Four golden, again, one of the best video games of all time, go play it, buy a PlayStation Vita just to play it, maybe buy two. So you can have a physical version and a digital version and you can support the, the game itself, Atlas USA, and maybe they can pull some magic out of their butts and get persona five portable on the PlayStation Vita probably won't happen. All right. So the PlayStation one has a crazy deep library of Japanese RPGs and it had a, a very long, uh, lifespan as well. So we got like five or six even seven years of great RPGs, uh, some that are getting remakes, but some that are still kind of stuck within the the hardware itself. Some are also getting on the PlayStation Network. That's kind of what we're going to focus on today because I want this stuff to be readily available for you to pick up for between 6 and $10. Some of the games like Suikoden uh, 1 and 2 are $10 a piece, but don't worry, it's going to be worth the the money to pick them up. Some considerations that I want to have for this discussion is, A, load times, because this is 2016. Uh, We kind of live in a time where we have our iPhone in one hand, an iPad in the other hand. We're watching two movies on our laptop, and then we're also watching the baseball game. So attention span is going to be uh, a factor. So quick load times are going to be a huge plus when it comes to this stuff. Also, we're going to leave Final Fantasy out of this discussion. And we're going to do that because I think that is a whole different thing. Like Final Fantasy 
seven, eight, and nine is a whole different discussion for another day. I want to kind of focus on some of the games that may not have sold as well or may just not have the 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 I don't know the the name of Final Fantasy to to help them out. Chrono Cross is probably as close as you're going to get. Uh, so the the last thing I want to mention is that Kurt, you've actually done a ton of work on this stuff already as well. Uh, I hope you don't mind kind of rehashing some of that stuff for today. I know it's cool. Okay. Um, so again, if you want even more in depth stuff. And it was actually a running joke uh, that uh, Greg Stewart and I did a an episode on the Sega 3D Classics Collection, which is actually Collection 2, but it's really Part 1 here in the States, where um, we did a bunch of research. And, of course, most of our stuff went to HardcoreGaming101.net because that's just the way it is. It's a great website. So let's take a quick break. One of the best things about these games is that they got badass music. So I'm going to try to put in as much music as I can because that's why a lot of people come to this show. So stick around. We'll be back with five games that we're going to talk about. Oh, it's going to be great. everyone, I just want to take a minute to talk to you about RetroFixes.com and the great services and products that Wes offers over there. I mentioned on the last episode of the incredible upgrade that you can get for these old consoles with RGB mods and HDMI mods and things like that. But maybe the most beneficial console that you can get from a video output modification is that Model 1 Sega Genesis where he can actually mod it so it has an S-video output. That's going to give you a much better picture than the horrible composite output that the Sega Genesis gave us. So go and check that out. And also, those old video games, you want to revitalize those as well. Some old video games have a battery backup save on them, and those batteries are dying right now. He can actually replace those batteries with a brand new one. So you can get like another 10, 15, 20 years out of those games, and you can maintain those saves. That is really, really huge for those old RPGs that you have from your childhood, those games that require saves, those are huge. Also, if you want to do this stuff yourself, he gives you the instructions. He has a bunch of great articles up on the website that talk to you about what you can do and how to do it. So if you want to order the parts through him, you can actually do it yourself if you're a little bit more adventurous than I am. So go and check it out. See all the great stuff that he offers over there. And also take a look at just the general restoration, like tune-up, audio upgrades for your NES, which you guys, those NESs sounded really rough. Like the, the audio output is not super clear. Go and check those out and even revitalizing your old controllers. I'm even going to mention this, Sega 32X. Maybe not the best console of all, all time, but I know you guys love it. You can get an S-video and a composite and stereo mod output for that as well. He has so many great services on there, and I just love recommending them because I'm giving Wes a bunch of my money to bring my consoles up to date, and it's the best investment that I've made just to make my life easier and to make these games look as good as they possibly can on original hardware. Go and check it out at retrofixes.com, and I know you're going to be impressed. You're going to be incredibly satisfied Wes's service is just top of the line. He just does such a great job, and uh, I can't thank him enough for supporting this episode of Back My Play. Let's get back to the show. Okay, the first thing we need to talk about is Suikoden 1, which came out on uh, in December 1995 in Japan, and then we got it almost a year later in November 1996. This is the time when localization kind of was always going to take a year, if not more, for it to get from japan to the the west so kurt i knew we were gonna have to talk about suikoden one and this is something that 
a lot of people have recommended it to me, and I kind of ran out of steam on it, but uh, how do you feel about this game? Supercoden 1 is okay. Like, it was a game that I played, uh, and it didn't really catch me that much either. And it wasn't until I played uh, Supercoden 2 down Mm -hmm. the line, which I think is a much, much, much better game. Uh, that I, I still went back to it and sort of played it, and it still didn't really grab me. Um, I mean, in a broad sense, I don't think you really need to play it. It's not a bad game, but it's kind of short, and it's it's very much you know an early PS1 game. Uh, but at the same time, it's all 2D, so it's not nearly as aged as some of those other games. Let, let me ask you, dude, so you definitely don't think it, it maybe holds up as, as well as some of the other stuff today? May, or maybe it does even more because it's 2D and not having to deal with uh, you know polygonal graphics. Uh, I just said, uh, like, everything good about it, Suicoden 2 does much better. Peter, what do you got for me? So I have <laughs> never played Suicoden at length, but I did buy it when it came out. Um, I was young, owned a PlayStation. I was hot off the Super Nintendo with RPGs on the mm-hmm. mind. Um, and Suicoden was, it, it appeared to be very stiff to me. Um, you know, coming off playing something like Final Fantasy, uh, I think I would played six by then. Um, I just remember the the animations and the art were were so off putting to me at first, mm-hmm. um, and then when it got into the story and the characters, you know, personalities, the writing struck me as maybe too mature <laughs> or too leveled, yeah, which yeah. which today I might actually appreciate. Um, but I, I simply picked up the game and then put it down because I was looking for something that had a little more heart and soul to it, which I didn't find in Suikoden when I first picked it up. Mm-hmm. And this is yeah. Cool. Oh, sorry. Go I, ahead. I, I definitely agree with that. It seems um, it's hard to get a grasp on what like the the universe and the world design is a Suicoden at first, especially because mm-hmm. like the first perception of the game is uh, the cover artwork, which is just very strange. Oh yeah. Like I, I thought it's just kind of like a, a wrestling or a fighting game because it's all these <laughs> like despair characters. Like what is what sort of game is this? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's sort of like a weird mishmash. Like it's technically based off of the uh, the Chinese water margin story, but it also has a lot of like. European medieval influence. It's kind of mm-hmm. sort of magic-y. And it just, just try getting attuned to what sort of like what it was about was very strange. Yeah, that cover art sucks. Yeah. It's it looks like <laughs> it looks like uh yeah, the, the it looks like a low-rent fantasy novel. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. All right. Well, um <laughs> I was also gonna mention just uh fun side notes is that it actually of course, was on the Sega Saturn, but it also got released on Windows, and it came out as a re-release on mobile phones in 2008 in Japan exclusively. So, you know, there's a couple different ways to play it. All right, so we're going to get to the sequel in a little bit, so don't worry. Hold on. I know everyone's yelling, but what about part I know. Okay. I want to talk about Wild Arms, all right? Wild Arms is a game that maybe... I think it was a Retronauts episode on video game music was the first time I ever heard of Wild Arms. And I heard about it because of the music uh, from the title screen. So that is what I know about it exclusively. The box art is at least a little bit better. But um, this, this, this game looks intriguing to me because I think I could go for a Western, as in like a Western-themed uh, RPG Um Peter, have you messed around with Wild Arms at all? Yeah, it was one of the uh, the first hand within the first handful of PlayStation games that I owned, uh, which which came at the height of my realization that I love anime. Like I am obsessed with Japanese media, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, ha- it it also married that aesthetic with with the the sort of old West setting. Oh, yeah. um, I remember the intro had great art. It was this wonderful anime cutscene. And then the game itself is pretty competent. So I was I was drawn in by the you know the aesthetic of the game. And then what I found was a a fairly standard but still enjoyable uh, RPG um, where you got to switch around and play as you know at different times one of three different characters that have their own abilities in the world map. Um, and I, I actually really enjoyed Wild Arms. I didn't stick with the series so much, but at a time when I was hungry for for something that fit my taste, Wild Arms was it back mm. then. Well, I mean, they made it all the way to the PlayStation 2. There's a couple Wild Arms games on there, but it seemed like the, the quality was not consistent as it went into the next generation. It, Wait, I, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, Kurt, you can go ahead. Sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Wild Arms has never been a really consistent series. Hmm. It's uh, 
it, it's sort of based around Wild West, but it's not purely Wild West. It's not like, uh, you know, The Magnificent Seven or anything like that. Um, it's got a lot of whistling in it. it. Yeah. The music is very, like, uh, Ennio Morricone inspired. That's definitely the best part about it. Mm-hmm. But, like, uh, it's... It's sort of like the anime western sort of stuff. There's like fancy guns and mecha and things like that. So it's uh, you know how there's like steampunk and diesel punk. It's sort of like mm-hmm. wild west punk, even though that sounds it's a terrible term, but it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's what it feels like. And I had I got the game I think a couple months after I gotten Final Fantasy VII because mm-hmm. I was like I love this game I need another RPG. And uh, I mean it's 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 okay. I mean it's definitely not as advanced as Final Fantasy VII was. Because, like, part of the game, the overhead stuff sort of looks like a Super Nintendo game. And then the uh, the battles are very simple, 3D. Um, but it's sort of like the spiritual successor to Lufia on the Super Nintendo. Oh, because nice. a lot of the dungeons, uh, like, each, each of the characters has a different skill that they can interact and solve puzzles with in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that make it a little bit a little bit more varied than the usual stuff. And, I mean, it's, the series itself has been okay, but they've just changed up, like, graphical style and battle systems, like, consistently. So, I mean, between there's, like, five main games, a remake of the first game, and then, like, a strategy game for the PSP. And they're all, like, wildly <laughs> different. But the music in all of them is excellent. Okay, so maybe this is something of a, 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 a soundtrack import. See, this is the thing that I'm trying to figure out, it's, especially with, like, the... The battle systems, like even Persona Four Golden, it like the battle system wasn't too complicated. Like it really was. Like you had your attacks where you could pick up new weapons at the store in town. You had your Persona's abilities, which were character based, except for yourself, which had access to a bunch of different Personas. But it was like you know, weak versus fire, weak versus ice, weak versus electricity, weak versus uh, wind or whatever, something like that. So. One of the things that kind of worries me about uh, when I get into like RPGs is making sure that, th- th- yeah, there should be some depth to the battle system, but I don't want to be like managing a bunch of menus and crap. Is there is there anything like that? And I mean, I played a little bit of Suikoden, which is very, it's actually very easy to get into, but is that, uh, is it like that at all in Wild Arms? Kurt? Wild Arms is, oh, okay. sorry. Oh, no, ahead, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Like, I got many or anything specifically, you know, it's pretty uncomplicated okay so we'll keep we'll keep this stuff in mind as as we go forward as i selfishly have this episode recorded and then shared with everyone out there um it it was actually uh decently reviewed it got kind of like in the 80s like eight out of ten the the game rankings man what was the last time you're on game rankings um is a 78.89 percent with whatever algorithm that they use but Oh uh, yeah, it seemed to get in like the eights. EGM gave it an eight, eight point seven five. So uh, decently well reviewed. But again, we're trying to keep this in the context of how it would play today in two thousand and sixteen. And I picked this up for a dollar on a PSN sale, so I'm not like super worried about it. It's just a dollar. It's like it's like an iPhone game. But um, I know it's not specifically load times, but combat. Man, the animations are, if I remember correctly, incredibly slow. Oh, no. Even at the time, I remember sitting there thinking, just attack. Just do it. <laughs> right, okay. You know, just sitting there waiting for the, you know, my character's moves to finish, which is something I think people should consider because, you know, that feedback loop, oh, man, yeah. it just takes forever. Well, I mean, I've, I have even had that playing Final Fantasy Nine, where I'm, like, punching yeah. in a bunch of inputs and you're just waiting for animations. Like, that's not what I'm here for, guys. Like, the animations <laughs> aren't that good. That game is so slow. Oh. I know we're not talking about yeah. Final Fantasy IX, but like that's the game that like almost everybody seems to like almost agree on as much as it's possible as a Final Fantasy game. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's ah, oh, well, it's too slow. Okay, yeah, and this is this was like this is why this generation is so weird. It's because they got access to this little extra like this extra power, so they could do all this cool stuff with animation, and then some of them just went a little bit too far and caused the the gameplay to slow down so much, which. Again, it's not something I can deal with today. Can't do it. Um, all right, let's talk about Grandia because this is this is a game that I've actually been putting some time into and I enjoy quite a bit. It still kind of has the same uh, the same JRPG trend of two little kids going on an adventure and then being, you know, way having so much potential than they originally thought that they had. I wish there were more adults, or at least in Persona 4, you get, like, high school kids. 
So I guess that's a little bit better than what seems like 10-year-olds. But uh, Grandia, which, uh, again, first came out on the PlayStation in Japan in December 1997, it came out almost two years later in North America, October. I I have to correct you there. I'm sorry. It was oh. the Saturn in 97 in Japan. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was one of the things that actually delayed the ports, uh, or at least it getting released in North America. It wasn't too much longer after the Japanese release on PlayStation that we got it. But the reason we didn't get it was because the Saturn was doing so poorly. Oh. And, uh, yeah. And there wasn't enough support truly to justify that port. Um, but then once, I believe, uh, Game Arts worked with, uh, with ESP, or maybe it was Sony, uh, to get it ported over, uh, that's when we got it. You're totally, you're totally right. I'm looking at, yep, you're totally right. Okay, thank you for correcting me on correcting me on that. That's uh, that's one. That's a that's a game that if you are ever in Japan, if you have like an extra hundred yen, you can pick it up on the Saturn or the PS One for like a hundred yen. It's very very cheap. I'm guessing it's sold rather well out there to be uh, that easily available. But anyways, regardless of release date and what it costs to pick it up in Japanese, because no one's going to do that, um, this game seems to be rather quick and has uh, a couple of cool elements along with it, including a a badass soundtrack, Kurt. Yeah. I mean, okay. There's a couple things about Grandia is that it was kind of set up to be Sega's version It's set up against Final Fantasy VII, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, that was Sony's thing. Grandia was Sega's thing. Oh, and no. uh, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> it when you put up against it, it's obviously nowhere near the budget. I mean, if you look at the CG, it's not nearly in the same level, right. but it's still an excellent game. And um, you know, kind of like I said, Wild Arms is like a successor to Lufia. Mm-hmm. Grandia feels like a successor to the Lunar Games, mm-hmm. and yeah. that it's uh, they're they're made by Game Arts. Right. Um, I'm not sure how much of the same staff that they shared, but it has the same sort of like. Little kids go on an adventure and get wrapped up in ancient civilizations and something that's much greater than themselves. Mm-hmm. And and uh, even though the main kid, uh, Justin, is kind of obnoxious for a good portion <laughs> of the game. Yeah. Uh, and, like, his little, like, eight-year-old girlfriend is, like, so much more intelligent than he is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a very charming game in the way that he, you know, sees how much bigger the world is. Like, I don't know how far you've gotten. Um, I've gotten, I went through the, the mine. That's about it. Oh, so you're like at the beginning of the game. I'm very, I'm right, I'm right at the beginning, but I'm, I'm at least I'm, I'm enjoying it. And the battles are, are quick. The load times are, are fast and it, it is, it still looks pretty good. And okay. And in general, Grandia has one of the best JRPG battle systems ever. Like the, the way it works is that sort of like combination between turn-based and real time mm-hmm. and that like. Everything kind of acts on its own and until a character's turn comes up. And there's a short period of time where you can act, but the enemies work the same way. So if you execute a special attack right before that they can get off one of their magic spells, you'll set them back further and like interrupt them. Oh, I didn't so know there's that. kind of a, yeah. yeah, there's kind of a big strategic element that you can use to uh, sort of view the timing, like to look to see how far away you are from the enemies. Um, and it doesn't always work out, but sometimes you can avoid getting hit by things like that. And it's also just like the way it's set up. It's very, it's very crunchy. Like the way that the the camera kind of zooms in and out, and yeah. um, like when you kill an enemy, there's these nice big thwacking noises, and they explode in a mess of polygons and uh, stuff. And it's just it's just really satisfying to see the way the battles play out. And that's something that all the Grandia games keep up. And uh, the later ones actually have even better battle systems, but the storylines get much much worse. Oh no! So, so it's kind of a weird trade-off. Well, I mean, uh, that that actually, for some reason, it's probably because I had a a copy of Disc Juggler, but for the Dreamcast, I actually <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I actually played a a little, a quite a bit of uh, the sequel. Um, I don't know why, but it that that kind of grabbed me. And again, it's because Disc Juggler. Go figure it out. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they didn't believe we're talking about disc juggler in 2016. If you still want to burn Dreamcast games, the only way you're doing it is on PC with disc juggler and it's still (laughs) available. You can still get that trial version. That's all you need because you don't want to burn it too at too high a speed. You burn it at too high a speed. Yeah. You want, you want like two, maybe if you're risky four X and that thing will still boot up on your Dreamcast. Oh, yeah. We were, we're all, we're all part of why the Dreamcast failed. Um, 
just to bring this back, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kurt was talking about the battle system, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you guys played Child of Light, uh, yeah. the Ubisoft yeah. game. I have a copy yeah. right next. I'm literally looking at a copy for the PlayStation Vita. Okay, the combat system is essentially the same thing. Cool. And I would argue it is almost the best part about Child of Light. Um, I haven't played Grandia uh, to the extent that I'd love to be able to you know, speak about it at length. Mm-hmm. But if you want a modern equivalent of that battle system, you can do so and play it with a game that actually has like modern graphics, modern load times, all that sort of stuff. Um, well, let me, let me ask you this because... I I picked up Child Delight and I'm I'm a weirdo in the sense of I almost feel like I don't want to buy the Japanese RPG styled games that aren't made by Japanese people. I know, I know, I'm with you. Um, I, I actually I, I have sort of a weird relationship with the term uh, JRPG, mm-hmm. um, and it's not because I like to debate whether it's made in Japan or not, and whether that really means what it means, but. For me, it's that no one can agree what the term actually means. And mm-hmm. and this came to be really real for me was when I was speaking to a team of developers from Monolith Soft who were working on Xenoblade Chronicles X. Right. And I just wanted to ask them, you know, how they feel about the term, if they feel like it limits their creativity, stuff like that. At the end of the day, they could not agree on what it meant, whether or not they use the term um you know, to be specific about the games they're making mm-hmm. or if they use it just to placate their audience. Um, so I have a real problem with it, but I agree with you though. Like there's something about buying a game such as Child of Light that is meant to mimic the qualities that are so embedded in the development culture of uh, Japanese studios. And it's strange. And I will say Child of Light did some things on its own that were really good that I wouldn't really credit to any source of inspiration uh, from Japanese RPGs, the mm-hmm. battle system aside. But that game also has some of the most aggravating writing because there's a character that speaks entirely in prose, and I just want to <laughs> strangle him. <laughs> well, like, everybody in that game speaks in rhymes. Yeah, that's... Oh, was that's, it everyone? Okay, yeah. it wasn't just that one guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I I spent about two hours with it, and I was at my limit. I couldn't... Because <laughs> the, the story actually sets up to be kind of interesting, and then it devolves into this this exercise in rhyming. Yeah. Let me, let me, uh, this is, this is something that's somewhat, uh, recently came out. Um, I forget what the game is. It was actually like everywhere when I was in Japan a couple weeks ago, but is uh, I am Setsuna. I think, oh, yeah. it, I think is what it is. And it's coming out to, it's coming out in the West, but not, they neglected to port the PlayStation Vita version. Thanks guys. The, uh, isn't there like the developer is actually like called like JRPG maker. Tokyo RPG Factory. Tokyo RPG Factory. So, which is like the most most cynical title for a studio <laughs> in my mind. Um, and you but, were talking about this on your show too. And I remember when they they were announcing this stuff, like it was all about trying to recreate the magic of like Chrono Trigger, Trigger and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is is kind of a misguided approach. I mean, I, look, I don't make games for a living. I only critique them mm-hmm. and play them for fun. Um, but I, but I will say that some of the most memorable experiences that go on to actually not just have an impact on me, but have an impact on the industry are original creations. And I think when you're trying to, you know, you make the, the sort of basis for what you're doing, uh, you define it from something that already exists. You're essentially taking a step backwards in a way because you're, you're removing part of the soul that makes some games feel really special. Um, but I'm I'm still looking forward to it. I just I, I wish that the company wasn't like we are Tokyo RPG Factory. Here's our Chrono Trigger clone. <laughs> you know, it, it, it just it just seems like they're being so blatant about it. They like money. They do. They, they do. I mean, you know, to its credit, the game looks really good. Um, I'm 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 very curious how the story will deliver. I think they're going to get you know the combat down and all that. Yeah. And the art design is going to be great. Hopefully, the soundtrack is good. But the, if the oh, story, the soundtracks the soundtracks dope. Oh my okay. god! Like uh, that was that was something uh, where I w- I almost picked up the game in in Japan, but um, you know, picking up an RPG and not knowing Japanese is a little bit of a it's a hurdle to get over. But um, it seemed like the game itself was not super well received in Japan. Like they were definitely clearancing the crap out of it at a lot of places. I don't know if that's just because they printed too many copies or or whatever, but even the odd Amazon Japan reviews, which are always way harsher. Like people in Japan love giving terrible reviews for games for some reason, but 
Um, mm. That has me a, a little bit worried, but again, I won't even play it because it's not on a portable. It's only going to be on PlayStation 4, right? So. Yeah. I mean, okay, look at something like Persona 5. We're going way off the be- yeah, <laughs> topic here. Actually, you know what? Let's, yeah, let's, talk, let's have the Persona 5 minute. Okay. Persona 5 it exudes style. I yes. mean, I think anyone who has gone to Tokyo in the past five years will look at Persona 5 and immediately recognize all of the street fashion and culture that is currently represented in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that is the sort of thing that is also feeding into anime. And into video games. I mean, there is a certain amount of fashion that defines what is popular in Japan. Mm-hmm. Something like I Am Setsuna does not fit that mold. Right. Persona 5, on the other hand, is the mold. Like 100%. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait. Honestly, I, I might buy a PlayStation 4 just to play that game. Well, it'll is, be on PlayStation 3 as well. Yeah, so my PlayStation 3. And if I'm going to play it, I might as well play the best, you know, super yeah. 1080p, 60, I don't know, whatever it's going to be. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they they should be able to get 60 frames per second if it's on the PlayStation 3 as well. Um, yeah, I can't wait to get that. And the soundtrack sounds amazing so far from the tracks that we've heard. And um, I will watch those crazy live streams in front of Tokyo Tower as many times yeah. as they want to have them. So, And uh, look, please look forward to Persona 5 dancing all weekend. Uh, which we'll probably be following up. That's probably what we'll get on the Vita. Anyways, I'm wasting time. We shouldn't be talking about that. We should be talking about these awesome PlayStation 1 JRPGs and uh, Suikoden 2. So this is uh, this is a game that we were, we were gifted by uh, Sony in the United States on the PlayStation Network about six months ago. And it was a really big deal when this game finally came out on the PlayStation Network. And I remember that... There was even rumored for like six months, even like a year before that, there was like an ESRB rating for it. So it was kind of like done, but potentially there was some T's to be crossed and I's to be dotted and stuff like that. Uh, And this is something that I picked up just because I knew it was something that should be picked up. And uh, Jason Schreier uh, over at Kotaku, who's JRPG aficionado and super fan, uh, he is the reason why I also bought Trails in the Sky, which... Unfortunately, it also has like 10-year-old protagonists in it. Um, but he had a, uh, a piece, Why You Should Play Suikoden 2, one of the best RPGs ever made. He makes some great points in there as like why that should absolutely be on your PlayStation Vita. But Jason isn't here. So, Peter, have you have you messed around with this game at all? Is it at least sitting on your Vita waiting for your retirement? It's sitting on my Vita, and I have the copy that used to belong to game pro sitting on my shelf at home. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? what? Did you, you, you just like buy that at like a yard sale? <laughs> no, no, no. When game pro shut down, uh, one of my coworkers used to work there and they were basically like, here's the library. Um, <laughs> they just opened the doors and let the staff just, uh, oh, yeah. Man, and I wish I was leaving at game pro. Dude, when I was working at one up, a similar thing happened when, uh, U- the UGO network purchased us. I remember somebody going around just, Ka-ching, 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 just unlocking drawers. And I was not of the mind uh, or sensibilities to take anything. And it, I was, most of all, I was a freelancer for them working in their office. So I didn't feel right. But anyway, yeah, like I, I owned Suikoden 2 back in the day. And it was one of those things that I picked up and I immediately recognized how great it was. And rather than sort of sit there with what little time I had, I said, I will save this for the perfect day and I will come back and I will take this in. <laughs> And that day never came. <laughs> and I regret it so much, but I did recently pick it up. I think there was a Golden Week sale on PSN, mm-hmm. um, and I picked it up there. But it was like $2 so, last week. It was stupid cheap. And it's so much more convenient for me to play games uh, at the moment on my Vita mm-hmm. compared to my PlayStation. Um, so I actually fully intend to get into this pretty soon, and I'm glad we have a chance to talk about it because I need an excuse. Yeah, I mean, I, I have it sitting on my blue PlayStation Vita by itself. For some reason, because uh, it only has one gig of internal memory, and I haven't bought a memory card for it. That's a dumb story to tell. But anyways, uh, Kurt, what do, what do you got about this game? How's how's the how's the battle system as well? Is this a game that's going to be worth sinking forty hours into? Uh, the battle system is basically identical to the first Suikoden, okay. which is it's fine, it's serviceable. Um, but there's a lot of things that again, Suikoden Two is just much much better than the first game. Okay. Um, just the way it controls is like you can actually like walk in all eight directions. You can run. <laughs> uh, the character artwork is much much better, mm-hmm. and uh, the story starts off a little bit better too, because uh, it's about like two boys that are best friends, and through like a matter of circumstance, they get caught on opposite sides of a war, 
And both of them end up uh, working their ways through the ranks until they're eventually like leaders of the armies until they have to like, you know, face each other as best friends or former best friends on the battlefield. This is like a Fire Emblem story. Yeah, but it's much, much better than any Fire Emblem story. Whoa, okay. I, right. I don't I don't hold Fire Emblem stories in high regard. So I, I agree. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. That's okay. Um but I it has a the, the reason why you might still want to play Suicone One is they all take place in the same universe. Mm-hmm. And even though they have separate stories, there are recurring elements to them. Like uh two of the supported characters, these two guys named Flick and Victor. Mm-hmm. And uh they were also in the first game. So you get you get a little bit more context on on certain background stuff if you play it. Um, but again, like the first Ukon is pretty short and the second one is, it's, second one is also not very long. I think I remember beating it in like 20 some hours. The problem is though, in those games, like there's 108 characters that you need to get. Um, okay. This is what has kind of caused me to pause before playing this game because that sounds like, like Pokemon type, a lot of work. It's not like you need to go out and necessarily grind stuff. And okay. over the course of the game, you'll automatically find like at least half of them, I think. Okay. Um, the problem is, though, if you don't find all the characters, you get a really shitty ending. And I remember <laughs> getting there and just was like really depressed at this bullshit. Uh, so once it's I like everyone it, dies, like your best friend like died in a house fire, not even in a war. It's oh, it's not that bad, but okay. it was just completely. It didn't even make sense. Okay. So oh, I man. immediately went out. I bought a Dex drive, which is that thing <laughs> yep. where you can download save games <laughs> from the internet. Because I didn't want to play the whole game from scratch. Because they are missable. So mm. if you go past a certain point and you miss one, then you're screwed. You'll never get it. Oh no. So I downloaded a save game right at the end. Had everything to beat the game, and the ending was monumentally better. Uh, so that is a game that if you're going to sit down with it, you should definitely. Uh, have a fact that tells you where to get everybody. Or if you don't have a Dex drive, you also have YouTube. Yeah, and I, th- I think you can actually. I'm pretty sure you could do it with the PSP. Like you could download the same oh, game. Oh, you can totally from, do that, and then drop it, drag and drop it onto the memory card. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. if that still works with the Vita, then you might be able to do that cheaty sort of way. Um, but yeah, that was my experience with that. And though the localization is also not so good. Um, not so much the writing, mm. which is not terrible, but it's really buggy. Mm. Um, like there are these strategy type battle sequences and one of them like music doesn't play uh this music that's just missing uh there's a couple areas where the text is just like nonsense garbled stuff like i think i remember uh hearing an interview with the the localization team that i think it was outsourced to and like konami just did not give them the resources that they need to make a good translation so uh it's really unfortunate because it's a really really cool story all right, it's, uh, that's shooting up to the top of my list. Right now, that's at the... Well, actually, is at the top of the list right now for me right now, and that is number two. Um, Peter, do you have like five five or six more minutes? Oh, yeah. Talk totally. about one more game? Okay, we're yeah, going to do one more game uh, for this segment, for this episode, I should say, and that is going to be... This is a game that I've kind of wanted to play, and I haven't finished Chrono Trigger yet. I've like gone through it. I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, oh okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> All right. Chill out. Okay. So I've gone like 15 hours into the game once. I went 22 hours into the game once. And then like I would just put the game down and do something else because like Uncharted 3 came out. So I had to go play that. And then when I came back, I was in that that time room with all the different time portals. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. So I tried and I, so I started a new game uh, and like got like six hours in on my, between my flights and back and forth from Japan. So it's like restarted. All right. So I'm Are you playing it on, on your Vita or on your 3DS. DS. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, DS. And I actually okay. bought like a second copy when they were $15 two weeks ago or whatever, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, why not? $15 it might as well be free. I don't care. Um, so <laughs> we're rich. Who cares? <laughs> $15 for a game. And this is coming off. This is another episode that I want to do later is like now that uh, DS carts are no longer being produced. Like, Hey, here are the games that you should probably pick up before. Like I just bought a copy of infinite space. Oh, you too? So did I. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. All right. Um, the reprint, right, from Canada? Yeah, I got my copy yesterday. Yep. <laughs> because a, a game that I will probably never play, but all right. Well, you... <laughs> I bought that game back when it came out, and I think I played for five minutes. I could never make us any heads or tails of that game. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing is, like, everyone said it's, well, 
might be nostalgia for a DS game now, but everyone's saying, like, oh, it's like one of the top three games on the DS. You have to pick it up. And since, uh, <laughs> all right, I know it's the internet. So, um, I picked up that and I picked up uh, a copy of Persona 3 Portable so I could have a physical version of that because I love that. That's what that was my first Persona game. Uh, anyways, hey, Chrono Cross. So, uh, <laughs> Chrono Cross is something that um, I have quite a bit of experience with the soundtrack because I've had the soundtrack CDs for a couple of years now and I listen to them like all the time when I'm doing work because the soundtrack is maybe it's unlike the top five video game soundtracks of all time, probably. I agree. I yep. totally agree with you. Um, and now there's the part where you have to actually play the video game, which some people have told me that it is still incredible. It is a must play. And then some people say it is so up its own, but makes no sense whatsoever and should not be played because it will ruin your experience with Chrono Trigger, which preface, if you're a person that says this new sequel or this new remake of the franchise will ruin your memories of the previous game your brain is totally messed up you should probably go seek some help because it's not going to mess with your memories whatsoever so chrono cross um available for also ten dollars has square enix tax on the playstation network but it is uh 9.99 kurt chrono cross after i after i play through chrono trigger should i go into chrono cross in 2016 yes but Okay, and tell me exactly what's up. So, again, part of this is knowing what you're getting into. Chrono Cross is an excellent game that has the misfortune of being related to Chrono Trigger. Okay. Because it's not really a sequel. It's like, how do I say this? It's like fan fiction written by the original developers. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Yep. So... The original Chrono Trigger was a joint production between uh, the guys who do Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. Mm -hmm. So it's mostly Final Fantasy, but it still has like the Dragon Quest sort of feel to it and and how it's paced. It was the dream team. And the story structure and uh, the Akira Toriyama design. Mm -hmm. Chrono Cross was designed by entirely by the Square part of that team. And they had previously made Xenogears. So Chrono Cross has much more in common with Xenogears than it does with Chrono Trigger. Oh, um, okay. There is a tight story relation to it that it's very vague at the beginning and like, I, I can't say too much without spoiling it, but it okay. is very strange. It does very strange things with the events of Chrono Trigger. It's much darker and um, it doesn't really have the sense of like, goofiness about it like Chrono Trigger was a very serious game because it was all about the end of the world but mm-hmm. you're still like hey we're a bunch of people we're going on fun adventures through time doing fun stuff That's- Chrono Trigger just I mean it, it it functions it's entirely about this one boy who uh ends up in another uh another timeline a parallel mm-hmm. world where he found out that he had died as a kid and uh it's all about you know why why that happened like why there are two different worlds and that's related to Chrono Trigger um, but it has a uh, it has a very nice tropical feeling to it that the soundtrack kind of elicits that. It has. So uh, it good. still looks fantastic. Um, the the low times there's still that like battle scene where it kind of like swoops in and slowly mm. goes in, but it's really well paced because like you don't really need to grind all that much. Uh, like you only really gain levels after you beat a boss. You can run away from any boss fight in order to like you know change your configuration of your attacks and stuff oh, like no that. No way. It's a, uh, it's a very modern feeling game, and like as far as like the characters and the battle system, I think it is much better than Chrono Trigger, which I think was just a very very basic standard uh, JRPG. But it is uh, like the entire game takes place in this like tropical arp- arp- archipelago. Uh, however you say that word uh and just like switches between dimensions so it doesn't have that same epic scale there's no time travel mm-hmm. there's like 40 or some different characters and almost none of them or none of them are really developed all that well and some of them are just really weird mm. um uh but it it the story like i i was so excited for this game that i had imported it back when it came out and i didn't know like any japanese at the time mm-hmm. uh so i was just trying to puzzle together what was happening i bought the japanese ultimania guidebook I'd uh, get into conversations like, you know, what happened about this? And like review the timelines and stuff. And like, if only this were in English, then when I bought and played it through in English, it only like barely made more sense. Oh, geez. So it, it does. If you like sit down and map it out and think about it, 
uh, but it is it's definitely very confusing. And the same thing with Xenogears; it mm-hmm. was like barely finished. So at the end, it kind of like just uh, is very hurried and rushed. Oh, geez. Well, we're gonna talk about Xenogears uh, on the next time we we get back in and talk about this. Um, Peter, thoughts on on Chrono Cross? You guys aren't getting me super pumped to play it. I mean, it's very up and down right now. So okay, it's <clears throat> I will say it's like one of the least cohesive um, games um, from Square Enix or sorry from SquareSoft at the time. Um, but for me, what I really enjoyed about it w- was a lot of the things that you guys have already described. The soundtrack was impeccable, um, but the, the 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 tone and the atmosphere of the game was the antithesis to Final Fantasy VIII for me. Hmm. Uh, Final Fantasy VIII was so dour. And in in my mind, very boring in terms of its settings. It's very it, mm-hmm. it's, it felt really uninspired. And then I start seeing images of Chrono Cross, and I start seeing this game that is vibrant, that is sort of carrying on the story of, well, I, would, I wouldn't say carrying on the story of Chrono Trigger, but carrying forward the spirit of it. And so I was immediately excited to get it. And yes, I didn't find a plot that was necessarily very intriguing, but I loved chasing the different characters. One of which is Frog from Chrono Trigger, uh, who you can recruit in Chrono Cross. It well, is kind oh, of, kind of, you get like yeah. his human form. And I think he doesn't even remember who he was. All right, I think don't, don't spoil Chrono Trigger guys. This is, this is no spoilers. I know it's like a 25 year old, or I guess it's like what a 20 year old game now. <laughs> well, you have to remember Chrono Cross sprang from, uh, this is a Satellaview game called radical. radical Dreamers. Yes. I was just about to get to that. Totally. Yeah. And it was, uh, it, it sort of explained what happened to one of the characters in Chrono Trigger. Uh, it, was, it was a visual novel, though, so there was no, like, RPG stuff in it and barely any graphics. Um, right. But Chrono Cross was, like, a remake of Radical Dreamers. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the section in Radical Dreamers appears as, like, a plot arc in Chrono Cross, but kind of different. Um, but even then, like, things don't work out the same way. So there are, like, connections to Chrono Trigger, which are, like, kind of there and kind of not. Yeah, like I think Luca makes an appearance at the end, depending uh, on what you do. One of them might be Magus, but not really. You know, it's very strange. <laughs> right, right. But so, yeah, I mean, like Chrono Cross for me was not like this this super tight, well-composed experience. Mm-hmm. But it had these little tidbits that were exactly what I needed at the time when it came out. Having trying, having tried played it, playing it again recently, I really cannot stand the character models. Uh, something about them, it is just like, I know a lot of things were abstract back in the early days of 3d. This felt like some weird middle ground where they were trying to do something a little bit more like in terms of like, you know, uh, proportions like realistic, Mm -hmm. but it still had that just really distorted early 3d look to it. Um, so going back to that today might be really hard. Although I, I will say, playing it on a Vita might be the best way to do it mm-hmm. versus playing it on the big screen because at least then things are shrunk down and you don't really get that. Uh, you're not scrutinizing every little pixel. And you get fast, slow times. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, that that's probably where we're going to pause for today because we're, we're kind of out of time. We're up against the clock. But um, on, on the next episode we do uh, about this, we're going to talk about as we mentioned before, Xenogears, Breath of Fire 4, Vagrant Story, Persona 2, Innocent Sin, and Slash Eternal Punishment. And uh, we, we probably, if you want a big Persona discussion, what you should do is check out Peter. Again, people need to check out the show Airships. It's Airship, GameSpot's Final Fantasy podcast. And I know you guys are getting ready for Final Fantasy 15, but keep the, uh, keep the 16 and 13 bit rpg discussion going i like it yeah i'm, I'm trying to uh, yeah so alexa's out right now so it's kind of the balls in my court and that was the first thing i thought of was <laughs> let's go old school so um, yeah yeah we're gonna try to keep a nice mix of new and old in there because uh there's a long history to japanese rpgs so mm-hmm. uh, we want to talk about it and hopefully we get some release dates for dragon quest 7 and 8 soon. i know god i've been ugh. I've been asking for that that port of seven for years, and I'm so happy it's on the way. But like summer, when? and summer, yeah, okay. That's why I that, mean that's what it says August? on Amazon. I mean that's what it's, that, <laughs> that's what they said last E3. That's what's on. Somehow they're going to get us Dragon Quest seven and eight in the same year, and I don't know who's going to have time to play both of them. Um, I've been waiting to play seven since the PlayStation to give you an idea of how long I've been. <laughs> I feel like my opportunity is now. So, but do you have do you have a hundred hours to devote to that now? 
<laughs> I, I hear the 3DS version, they speed things up. Because Dragon oh. Quest Seven is a game with, it has a great concept, but it just drags yeah. on. And it's like the worst paced RPG I've ever played. And you really have to fight to get to the good stuff. Uh, but I hear the 3DS one, they, they've uh, fixed up a lot of that. So good. it might be worth replaying. Awesome. All right. And, and I heard 8 is incredible. So maybe maybe if I, I'll do a little bit of 7. But, but, but see, this is the problem. I got so many JRPGs to play, and the only thing that I want to play is Persona 5. All right. Um, so that's going to do it for, for this episode. Uh, again, if, make sure that you're checking out uh, Peter Brown stuff at GameSpot.com. Check out the Airship podcast. Make sure... You're downloading that and check out some of the back episodes as well. You guys have done a great job starting off with that show. So it is uh, just another thing that you can have automatically download to your phone and you can get great old video game discussion and some new video game discussion because you might actually want to know about those as well. Kirk Kalata can be found at hardcoregaming101.net. It is just an incredible resource for old video game information and still new stuff going up there every single week. Kurt, what's the latest stuff that you have up on the website? Oh, what do I, what do we put up? F zero. We're doing a oh, big right. piece on that. Um, what else? I can't even remember what I have planned. <laughs> I need to check the schedule. <laughs> I don't. Okay. It's okay. Uh, part one of F zero is, is up now. I know this is going to come out in like a, a week or two after we record it. That's okay. But um, it, the, the best thing about it, is that you can go to the website now and there's going to be even more stuff. I know there was some people tweeting about the Tattoo Assassins piece today, which uh, <laughs> is, is is a must read. Oh, my God. Just or Actually, just must must view. Go look at the screenshots for that game. Why did we not get this? It's it's a real travesty. Um, and actually, Kurt, you, there, is there a ROM available of that game somewhere? Yeah, you can play it on me. Okay, great. All right. Um, I might need to figure out how to do that. All right, so... Um, lots of great stuff going on there. And of course, uh, you can check out back You can check, check out fitcast.network where you can find this show and all the other shows. There's a lot of great stuff going on and I really appreciate Patreon support. If you are a Patreon supporter, stick around though. You're getting an extra segment. So hang out. You're getting an extra 15 minutes with Peter Brown and I talking about PVMs and other retro video game stuff. Thank you so much, everyone. I, I think we should turn on our Vitas. Let's go, let's go play some JRPGs until we're back next week. Take care. Thank you.